0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I was blown away, bamboozled, caught completely off guard by an episode of television which many are describing as a Hall of Fame masterpiece. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I watched the new movie Missing. It's not a Hall of Fame
1: masterpiece, but it's also not terrible. And Pamela Anderson has a new documentary on Netflix.
0: Plus... One of the biggest movies of the last year came home this week. I haven't seen it yet, so I'll tell you what I think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. All right, so I'm not sure where this show, this series will land on my list of favorite shows of 2023, but we do have an early contender for best episode of television of 2023, season one, episode three of HBO's The Last of Us. Not today, you. World Order Order boots.
1: My name's Frank. Here's the thing, Frank. If I feed you, then every bum you talk to about it is gonna show up here looking for a free lunch. And this is not an Arby's. Well, Arby's didn't have free lunch, it was a restaurant. Sooner or later, there'll be Raiders. They'll come at night, quiet and armed
0: call Joel. We'll be fine. So we'll talk about this episode in a moment. And I, I did discuss the show already a couple of weeks ago. So just a quick recap in case you missed that or you don't know what the show is, The Last of Us. It is based on a video game from several years back. It is a highly respected, highly revered video game that many say tells the best story in video games. And it's set in a world that has been destroyed by a pandemic that's turned everybody into these fungus-infected zombies. So the people who Are left, the survivors, they all live in these fortified quarantine zones that are run by their militaristic government. And every so often they sneak out and get supplies or whatever. But we meet our primary character, Joel, uh, who's played by Pedro Pascal, and young Ellie, who might be the key to curing this whole thing. So Joel has to get Ellie across the country to this safe house where they're doing the science stuff that could potentially save humanity. So it's like a road trip story through the remnants of an apocalypse. And the first two episodes were great. Uh, The sets are tremendous. The production value is incredible. The zombie people, the infected, are really scary and really gross. Definitely not your style or your cup of tea, Mr. Jeff Braun. But um, I think that's why this third episode caught me off guard so much because I was not expecting the story they presented. In this episode, we meet Bill and Frank, played by Nick Offerman, who was what character in one of your favorite comedies?
1: Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation.
0: That's right. And Murray Bartlett, who recently won an Emmy for his role in The White Lotus. So in the game, and I, I will tell you, I don't know anything about this video game, and I have been actively trying to avoid learning anything about the game because I don't want to know I'm really enjoying the story so far so I want I don't want to know how the story potentially comes to an end uh, so I Bill and Frank from what I understand, this is a massive deviation from the game because in the game, uh, Bill we meet Bill, but Frank is already dead. So in the show that's not quite what goes down. I won't tell you how this plays out. But what I will tell you is that this was one of the most beautiful episodes of television I've ever seen. It was, you know, Bill, played by Offerman, is a survivalist. He is holed up in this little town. The military came through and they got everybody out. But he was down in his bunker in his basement and realizes he's got the whole place to himself because the military took everybody away. And so he's got guns and he figures out all the supplies he needs to keep his home running and operational. And he can, he knows how to grow food and set up booby traps and all kinds of stuff. He's just your classic sort of survivalist grumpy guy. And then Frank comes along, Frank falls into one of his traps and he just wants something to eat. And then he'll get on his way and they develop a friendship And very quickly, and this is, um, I don't really know how to talk about this without spoiling it. So I'm going to spoil this in three, two, one. They fall in love. This is a love story. And I think that's why it was such a surprise. Because instead of being an episode full of action and full of monsters and full of scares and the horror of an apocalypse, we instead get this love story told over 20 years. So we meet them 20 years earlier. The, the the apocalypse has just begun, and we see them in the present day. And so over 20 years, we learn how they fall in love and how they pass their time, and they have silly little fights about dumb things. And it's just such an unlikely pairing, particularly from Bill, because he was such a hard guy. But clearly underneath His hardened exterior was this teddy bear with a heart of gold. And Murray Bartlett was also fantastic. So both of these guys gave excellent performances. And, yeah, it was just never in my wildest dreams did I think that in a show about an apocalyptic event where the world has been just ravaged by all of these infected fungal zombies... Did I expect to find per, one of the best love stories I've ever seen on screen? And I would suggest that you could potentially watch this one episode and enjoy it as a self-contained story. Even you, Jeff, because the, the gross stuff, there really isn't a lot of that in this. Uh, there's one scene that's you see one of the monsters, one of the infected, but otherwise, nah, you might be able to get away with this one. So some will dislike that's that it tempting. deviated.
1: Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say that is very tempting because uh, Nick Offerman was excellent in a dramatic role in that show, Devs, a couple of years ago. So uh, while he's mostly known for comedy, he's proven even before this that he can do drama. So I'm not surprised and I'm kind of intrigued by the, the story here.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, some will dislike that it deviated from the game. Some will dislike the love story component. Some will dislike that, relatively speaking, this was a slow episode without a lot of action. Like It is bookended at the front end and the back end with Joel and Ellie because they are going to see Bill and Frank because they need some help. They need some supplies, and then that's where we learn who Bill and Frank are and how they met and... You know how they, their friendship with Joel developed over the years. So I loved it. It was a sensational episode of television, so you can watch it on demand on Crave if you missed it, and uh, if you want to get caught up on all three episodes so far, they are also available on demand through Crave. Meanwhile, a big movie arrived on Disney Plus this week, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. There is a new health power. What can will fall.
1: They think we're vulnerable.
0: They're welcome to find out.
1: Get gets now. Homie beaters, November 11th.
0: And on Disney Plus, as of February 1st, this past February 1st, it arrived then to kick off Black History Month on Disney Plus. They've actually created a Black History collection, which has a lot of really cool stuff. 2018, Black Panther came out. It was a huge hit. Critically and commercially, I loved it. Wakanda Forever didn't do quite as well. at the. I mean, it still made a ton of money, $842 million worldwide, whereas the first one made $1.3 billion and 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it got a bunch of Oscar nominations. But um, I liked it. I just didn't love it. I thought the first one looked cooler. It just had a slick feeling overall. This one was more meh. And all these movies and shows that Marvel is pumping out now, it just feels like they all act as backdoors to introduce new characters characters like Ruby Williams, who will star in Ironheart later this year. She built herself an iron suit like Iron Man. And Namor, the Submariner, who was the villain in this movie, he's a big character in the comic book. So we'll probably see him somewhere down the line. I don't know. I liked it. I just didn't love it. Like it was almost three hours long. And as soon as it was done, I just, the first thing I thought was, okay, Let's find something else to watch. So I'll give it three couch cushions out of five. And in a moment, Jeff's got a review of a rather unique sequel and a documentary about a Canadian icon. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back
1: to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I checked out a gimmicky new movie this week called Missing.
0: My mom never came home from her trip. There's got to be a way to find her. What about security footage? No!
1: I'm not giving up on my mom. You're going to her boyfriend's email? He's a felon? Someone's hiding something. We're running out of time!
0: Where is she? Missing. pg 13
1: Sounds like standard thriller stuff, but like I said, there is a gimmick, and it's it's like that movie Searching with John Cho. The same people made this movie, although it is not a direct sequel. It's just a similar movie in that Missing All takes place on a computer screen. Granted, a lot of it is, you know, with... FaceTime and other video messaging apps, so you can see the actors, but there's a lot of reading and clicking and bouncing around different programs, and it's pretty entertaining. June is the main character. She's played by Storm Reed, who is in the show Euphoria. She's an 18 year old who's been left at home alone for a week as her mom and her mom's boyfriend head south from their la home to Columbia for a vacation but a week later they don't return as scheduled and june has to use her computer and her iphone to try to track them down over the course of two hours a pretty impressive mystery is unraveled june starts by calling the hotel they were at and the embassy in colombia and the standard sort of things you would expect she hits some roadblocks with the fbi and ends up taking matters into her own hands That includes hiring a local Colombian to do some sleuthing for her. Apparently, there's an app where you can just hire strangers like you would an Uber driver to run errands for you. So that's what she does. That guy that she hires is named... Ravi, and he's played by Joaquim D. Almeida, whom you, may, who you most certainly will recognize if you've ever seen any movie since the 80s that featured criminals from Mexico or South America. This guy seems like he's always playing the cartel boss in a movie. He was in Fast Five. He's in Clear and Present Danger. Those are probably his biggest credits. I love that guy, and frankly, it was actually really nice to see him playing a good guy. He's just a dad with a scooter who's looking to help June for $8 an hour, and that's the basic setup. Up. The movie has a couple of major game-changing twists along the way. I really liked the first one. It kind of blew my mind. And then the second one that comes closer to the end, I thought maybe that was a little bit Too much, although by the end I was back on board. The acting was also a little rough at times, not terrible, and you know, probably not the actor's fault, but the gimmick of the computer screen sort of forces some clunkiness into the telling of the story. I think the movie might, you know, even have actually played better if it was just a straight standard uh, straightforward kind of thriller without the gimmick of the computer the movie you know does definitely gets points for the plotting of it of the mystery and all that sort of thing but the execution maybe not so much a decent piece of entertainment but i don't think you need to flock to theaters to see it wait till it's on cable or streaming or whatever i will give the movie missing three couch cushions out of five and then i watch the next day a new netflix documentary about pamela anderson I didn't sleep last night at all. If anybody is watching this, go to hell. I blocked that stolen tape out of my life in order to survive. And now that it's all coming up again, I feel sick. I want to take control of the narrative for the first time. Pamela, a love story, features the 90s icon telling her life story in her own words. I tuned in mostly to see... You know, where is she now as she faded from the limelight years ago. She was uh, back in the headlines last year because of that limited series, Pam and Tommy. That came out. It's a fictionalized show telling the story about her infamous sex tape with then-husband Tommy Lee in the mid-90s. Real-life Pamela Anderson did not watch the show and has no plans to. She's moved back to her hometown on Vancouver Island a few years ago already, and she lives there today. That was news to me. I sort of assumed she would have stayed in L.A. The documentary follows her as she putters around the house, and The Seaside property. It's the house she grew up in. She goes through old photos, old videotapes, letters and journals recounting her childhood, her rise to stardom, her many marriages, and finally her Broadway run last year. A lot of it was pretty eye-opening when she rose to fame in the 90s. You know, we were teenagers and believe me, when we saw her, we only saw one thing. Now, years later, it's nice to learn more about her as an actual person. She took an awful lot of abuse over her life, uh, physical, sexual, emotional, you name it, from the loved ones in her life and, of course, the public at large. But she's persevered. Most people would have had more than enough reasons to be bitter at this point, but she's not. You get the sense that she's still kind of just relieved to have shed the shackles of superstardom and just free to be herself, and that she can look back and laugh about Any of the long list of horrible things that have happened to her is very impressive. And the documentary shines a light on how unfairly she was treated by the press and the public, pretty much everyone. Uh, You know, Jay Leno may have had a lot of laughs at her expense in the 90s, but Pamela Anderson is having the last laugh and time has proven that. As you would expect, the documentary does spend a lot of time on her love life. The most time of that, of course, spent on her relationship with Tommy Lee from their four-day courtship that led to a quickie wedding, their kids, the sex tape fiasco, and the end of their relationship. The other boyfriends and husbands are also covered, although in much less detail, but they did not impact her life as much as Tommy did. And I always forget that she was briefly married to Kid Rock. He's gross, but she says he was good to her boys, so I guess that's something. And we meet the boys. Uh, Brandon and Dylan, they're all grown up. They come across as pretty normal guys, and they clearly love their mom. It's an interesting watch. It's nice to catch up with someone who was so famous in the 90s and then seemingly fell off the face of the earth. Uh, I will point out that it is an R-rated affair, in case you were thinking of watching it with uh, kids around. They did get permission to show footage and stills from all, a lot of her Playboy stuff, so there is a lot of nudity. Um but uh, that's not the only reason to tune in. There's a a lot of good stuff in this documentary. Pamela, A Love Story, out now on Netflix. It's about two hours long, definitely worth a watch if you uh, at all have an interest in Pamela Anderson.
0: Thanks for putting this on my radar because I very much enjoyed that Pam and Tommy series last year, which... Was so eye opening from the, you know, putting it into perspective of just how much it damaged her life. I never really thought about that. I just kind of thought of celebrity sex tape. That's kind of neat, whatever. And uh, the effect it had on her life, on her career was horrible. And uh, you make a great point when we were teenagers, when she was a big star. Like the first, I remember going to uh, a Max convenience store, which they're now known as Circle K. And I had just recently turned 18, and I thought, oh, my God, I I can buy Playboys now. And, I bought, and the one that was out that month was <laughs> Pamela Anderson. So that was the first Playboy I ever bought. And uh, all my buddies were like, oh, my God, show me the Playboy. So anyway, but then now I'm going to go watch this documentary. Up next, we're going to tell you what's new at the movies this weekend. And I didn't just go to Wakanda this week in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just aimed a little bit smaller, shall we say You're listening to The Couch Potatoes I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes A couple of interesting new movies out in theaters this week One of them from director M. Night Shyamalan Knock at the Cabin We were called and are united by a common vision Which has now become a command that we cannot ignore The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision.
1: If you fail to choose, the world will end.
0: How many times have you seen this trailer at the movies? When you go see movies, Mr. Braun? I think
1: I've only seen this one maybe once, and I think I, as soon as it started, I was like, hey, you know what? I should go to the bathroom before the movie starts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's fair. It's based on a book from 2018 called The Cabin at the End of the World. Uh, The cast includes Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, who was in Hamilton, and uh, Mindhunter on Netflix, Rupert Grint, of course, from Harry Potter, and Abby Quinn from Little Women, Jeff. Yes. While vacationing at a remote cabin, young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand the family make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. They have to choose one of them to sacrifice. And with limited access to the outside world, they must decide what they believe before all is lost. Looks creepy, but it also looks like it might be another slightly underwhelming offering from Shyamalan. 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not terrible, but not great. And it's it's a cool premise. Like, if four strangers show up at your door and say, hey, the, the apocalypse is nigh, and they have proof that the world appears to be coming to an end, like planes are falling out of the sky right outside their window... And the, you're told um, if one of you dies, then you'll stop all of this. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of a kind of a goofy storyline. And I'm, I'm he's intrigued. good at coming.
1: He's good at coming up with a clever premise like that. It's it's too bad that he can't like follow through and like make the whole movie good. You know what I mean? Like his movie, old from a couple years ago, that had a real good premise where people go to this beach and they just start aging uh, like one one year every ten minutes or something like that, and but then the movie drags along, and by the time you get to the end of it, it's like, oh, that's kind of silly.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. And then of course there was the disappointment of that. Uh, what was the movie Glass, which combined the, uh, the was un- un- unbreakable, unbreakable. Yeah, the- yeah. And then the uh- <laughs> what was the second one called? <laughs> the one was I can't the- remember. Oh shoot. It was yeah, a- Split. Split, thank you. Yeah, where we didn't yeah. know that there was a spinoff or that they were going to tie the two together. That was one of the biggest twists I think I've ever seen in a movie. So that's pretty cool. So Knock at the Cabin is one of the movies out this weekend. The other one, a powerhouse cast of Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Sally Field, and Rita Moreno star in 80 for Brady.
1: We're going to the Super Bowl to enjoy men the way the Romans did. Let's go! Sweaty, tight pants. Oh. This February. I'm taking this one is cute. Best friends. I've
0: never been to a party like this. Up here. Why is champagne such a violent beverage?
1: Get into the best trouble.
0: So, you don't have any tickets. Do you think you could get us in? Follow me. Blanc. Hi. So big. Thank you. How? 80 for Brady. Only theaters, February 3rd. So, it's inspired by a true story of four best friends living life to the fullest when they take a wild trip to the 2017 Super Bowl to see their hero, Tom Brady play some ball. Fonda and Tomlin, by the way, they've worked together a lot. In 1980, they were in 9 to 5. In 2015, they had a show on Netflix called Grace and Frankie that went for seven seasons, which is a lot for Netflix. And now they're in this. And then next month, believe it or not, they're in another movie coming out to the theaters called Moving On. So this one, 80 for Brady, it's getting okay reviews. Looks fun. I don't know. How could you not have fun with this cast? Uh, Although I wonder if they'll uh, um be sad now that Tom Brady has quit football once again. I saw one headline that said Tom Brady quits his side hustle again. Or no, movie star Tom Brady quits his side hustle again. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>
1: Do you think he would base that retirement announcement on this movie coming out this weekend? Like, oh, oh, let's sell some more tickets people. I wonder. Let's get some headlines. Get me back in the headlines.
0: I. You know what? I, that would be, that'd be so weird. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past... You know, him or or some clever marketing people. Maybe he always knew that that was going to be the final season and just decided to hold off to make the announcement this week with this movie coming out. Ha! Huh. Something to think about. Yeah. Hey, uh, I mentioned uh, that I watched Wakanda Forever, but... Three couch cushions out of five. It just debuted on Disney Plus on February 1st. But on the Marvel front, since Phase 5 is about to begin on February 17th, I figured I should get myself reacquainted, so I watched. Scott, I need you to be the Ant-Man. Ant-Man from 2015, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Michael Douglas. And then I watched the 2018 follow-up, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I can get you home
1: And give you more time.
0: If you help me. So, what's it gonna be? That was actually not a clip from Ant-Man and the Wasp. That was a clip from the next one, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, which comes out on February 17th. And Michelle Pfeiffer, by the way, was added to the cast in 2018. And I, I don't think I had watched either of these movies since they came out in theaters. Uh so it was nice to go back and rewatch these on Disney Plus because I forgot how much I enjoyed them. Those first two movies, I you know they were Awesome on the big screen. They were great big screen experiences, especially in 3D, if you like 3D, because with Ant-Man, his ability is that he can shrink down to, like, microscopic size, so the visuals in that, seeing him running just even on a table is a spectacular visual, so that was fun. And the movies are lighthearted. Like, Paul Rudd is, is, you know, Thor has become this sort of comic oaf, and... Chris Pratt is also sort of this doofus at leading the Guardians of the Galaxy. But Paul Rudd, is he's not a doofus. He, he's just kind of a regular guy. And he, Paul Rudd is always affable in whatever he's in. So I thought he was a terrific choice to play this role. And his supporting cast in this, Michael Pena, is just a standout. you remember the What's guys? Up? <laughs> Yeah, like that should not be funny anymore. <laughs> but he manages to make it work. And they they have that great gag where he's narrating a story, he's telling a story, so then we get these flash cuts to the person he's talking to, and they voice his narration. so it's of all the Marvel movies, I feel like these ones, even though they still kind of follow the basic Marvel formula, they're more they are lots of fun so I, if you have not watched the Ant-man movies in a while. I really recommend it because especially the the big fight at the end of the first movie the bad guy in the first one is played by Corey Stoll and a lot of people think he's just a stock villain and he's really hammy I kind of thought that worked for this movie because it didn't take itself all that seriously especially with the way they were it looks like they're they're having this huge battle and horrible things are about to happen and then they zoom out and show you like how tiny these guys are in their fight, uh, playing up against some toys and stuff. So it's just a great visual. So Quantum Mania, though, I'm not sure what to think about this, because you look at the trailers, it looks like it's going to be complicated as they introduce the next big bad. They've been teasing him. We met a version of him in the Loki TV series. We're finally going to meet Kang. So what do you think of uh, Quantum Mania?
1: Yeah, I-, I was thinking that, too, because, like, the... MCU is seems to be going like whole hog on either the multiverse or outer space or in this case you know that's uh, inner space I guess you could call it or something like that but you know what I mean like leaving the real world and going kind of pure fantasy and so I, I don't know I, I sort of the thing I liked about the first parts of the MCU was the real world aspect of it I mean I didn't mind the space stuff I obviously liked the Guardians of the Galaxy and that sort of thing but it's uh, if if it's all going to be that sort of thing it's kind of that kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way i think that's why i like the spider-man movies because that's you know back in the real world all the time so
0: we'll see all right so ant-man quantum mania february 17th no doubt we will have a review for that as soon as we can and in a moment jeff's got a review for a movie that i've been curious about for at least a year never got around to seeing it so i shall await what he has to say about the king of rock, you are listening to the Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And every year when the Oscar nominations come out, I kind of try to make it my mission to see all the best picture nominees before the award ceremony. And this week, I finally got around to watching
0: Elvis. You don't so much as wiggle a finger. I playing the music that
1: I want, the music that I love. People want to put me in jail That's the way I was moving. I would do anything to make sure my mom and daddy never had to live in no poverty ever again.
0: I think if you dream it, you'll do it. You
1: know? Yeah. In the end, you gotta listen to yourself. Elvis, Reading PG 13. Elvis has been nominated for a handful of Oscars, including Best Picture. I don't think anyone believes it'll win that, but who knows? Never say never. The one award that it could win is Best Actor for Austin Butler who plays Elvis. Uh, I'd throw my vote at Brendan Fraser and the Whale or even Colin Farrell and the Banshees of Sharon, but... Biopic performances of famous people often win, and you can't get more famous than Elvis Presley. Jamie Foxx, of course, won for playing Ray Charles in the 2000s. More recently, Rami Malek won for playing Freddie Mercury. So there's a lot of precedent for this sort of thing. And you know what? Austin Butler does a great job in this movie. At first, it kind of came off as a guy pretending to be Elvis, but by the end, he had me convinced. The movie r- rips along. It's interesting. It's two hours and 40 minutes, but it goes by quickly. It's also Epic in scope, following the king from his start to his tragic end, but it feels like it glosses over an awful lot. There are a couple of years-long time jumps during his career. He's nobody, then he's suddenly very famous, or... You know, he goes from looking great to suddenly dying. Uh, I'm I'm not saying every moment of his life needed to be captured, but I would have expected more time to be spent on his rise to stardom, as well as his final descent. The love of his life, Priscilla, also barely registers as a character. A lot of biopics really focus on the wife, like Walk the Line with Johnny and June Carter Cash. But I guess Boz Lerman, the director, decided Priscilla wasn't really one of the driving forces in Elvis's life, and uh, I don't think that that was actually... uh, What we all thought. I think we thought that Priscilla was a pretty big deal in his life. Those are probably my biggest complaints, but otherwise I do think that Lerman did a great job making this movie. He has a kind of a frenetic energy when he makes his movies, and there's no difference here aside from the overall pace. He's also a a fast cutter type like Tony Scott or Michael Bay. And it works well in a musical biopic because you know music videos do that as well. Plus, Elvis was a bombastic guy, so it makes sense that the movie about him would also be bombastic. The music, of course, is fantastic. I love Elvis songs and watching at home was nice because I was by myself and I could sing along and I did. And then finally, there's uh, Tom Hanks. He's been raked over the coals for his performance, which admittedly is pretty strange. But the guy he's playing, Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's promoter, was pretty strange too. So it worked for me. It did take a, a while to get used to it, but then it clicked. He's also the narrator of the movie, but he somehow also still comes off. As the villain, which I guess he was, but it's just weird to have the guy narrating the movie also end up being the bad guy. Mainly, you know, besides working Elvis into an early grave, he also deprived the world from seeing Elvis as the colonel refused to set up a tour outside the U.S. because he himself had uh, issues getting over borders, so he didn't want Elvis to have to go across the border. Hanks was fine, though, in this movie. I'd say lay off him. He's not bad in it. It's just uh, Colonel Tom Parker was a weird guy, so it's a weird performance. The overall movie, I thought, was pretty good. It maybe fell a little bit short of what I was hoping for. Definitely worth it, though, for the butler performance and of... you see, if you like Elvis at all, but if you like Elvis a whole lot, you've probably already seen this movie. It came out in June and yeah, it took me until this week to get around to seeing it. I don't know why that runtime, that two hour, 40 minute runtime, uh, kept me from watching it a bunch of different times. I know that don't let it stop you from watching it. We'll see how Butler fares on Oscar night next month. I will give Elvis three and a half couch cushions out of five and it's on Crave and available to rent.
0: All right, might have to check that one out too. And I just wanted to quickly revisit something I talked about a couple of weeks ago. I talked about how I plowed through all six of the Rocky movies, Rocky through to Rocky Balboa. And uh, there's one thing I, I forgot to include in my sort of revisit. So here's the clip to tee that up. But well, I didn't come here to lose. Well, you hold on, little lady. You hold on, because lose and lose royally he's going to do. How can you be so sure? Well, I've been
1: with the best, and I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security.
0: <laughs> Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed is one of the most perfectly cast roles I think I've ever seen, and he was so good in that role. He added so much to the Rocky saga. He could have been just a cookie cutter character, or they could have, you know, had they gotten a, a different actor, he would not have been as memorable. But Carl Weathers was great. And Sylvester Stallone himself says that he was, the, he considers him the greatest on screen boxer ever. And he's so athletic. He, the guy had a, an amazing physique before that was even really uh, sort of a trendy thing, like Stallone in the first movie. He was you know, he was in decent shape, but he was, wasn't cut or ripped or anything like he was in later movies. But Weathers was already pretty much there. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure to mention that. And I remember when I was a kid when Apollo died, I felt like a part of me died, Jeff Braun. so he's one of the he's oh, one on. of the best characters ever.
1: Yeah, and Carl Weathers is never bad. Action Jackson, Predator, Happy Gilmore, Arrested Development, any, any, and anything and everything I've ever seen him in, uh, I've just loved him immensely.
0: Yeah, he's uh, it. It really is a crime that he didn't go on to become a leading man, and uh, I'm sure there are some reasons for that, but I, I, I don't know. He should have been a huge, huge star. Uh, beyond what he's known for but at least he's still enjoyed some success and he continues to pop up like he's in the mandalorian season three of that starts soon in march and he has a pretty significant character in that show so i'm looking forward to seeing more of him there But that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother